Thank you so much. Good morning. God bless you. God bless us to be here this morning. As he said, uh, being able to be here is a privilege to uh, come to worship God. But uh, I want to encourage you not only to worship God here right today, but be worshipers. Let worship be what you do, what you think, who you are. Worship is a medicine. You got to know that it is a medicine from God that blesses us. And I want you to just worship God this morning according to scripture and spirit and in truth. Today we're going to talk about Romans. Uh, I'm going to do a little series in this book and I'm going to take these scriptures and uh, I'm going to break them up. But uh, at Keith read in your hearings, uh, uh, all the depth and the riches of God, uh, Romans uh, chapter 11. When you look at the book of Romans, uh, uh, it is a, a powerful book. The first 11 verses are about doctrine. It's teaching you the doctrine of God and the doctrine of salvation. Then in uh, uh, chapter 11, it goes into this doxology. And then chapter 12, it begins to put the doctrine into practical purposes, into practical and practicality. It, 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 it starts talking about the doctrine of how we carry it out. And he gives examples of what was going on in the church. When you keep on reading beyond chapter 11, he gets into a church's uh, a real life. Uh, this church was a church, if I, got it, if I don't have it mistaken, it was uh, a, a Jewish church uh, uh, of Christians. And then there was an emperor or king who came and he banished the Jews and they had to leave. And then the Gentiles came in. But then this emperor left, and then the Jews came back. And so now there's a mixture of Jew and Gentile. And so uh, 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 these two uh, uh, entities, uh, two different mindsets, these two different uh, uh, races of people have come together, and now they have to work together. And Paul writes to this church about the doctrine of Christ, a doctrine that, that is uh, uh, about salvation. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he begins to take the doctrine and then he begins to put meat on it and tell what you do in, with this doctrine. And what he uses uh, to uh, give the practical part of the doctrine, he uses their real life situations. Uh, these two uh, 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 different uh, cultures are coming together in religious culture and in social cultures are coming together to make one. And he deals with their real life situations. And he says in Romans 14, he said, the kingdom of heaven is not about your culture. In other words, when your cultures collide, like here at airport with our diversity here, when our cultures collide and they begin to cause us to fight, then what is going on is we have a misunderstanding of salvation. Salvation is not in your skin color. I don't care what Jesus' color of his skin was, that wasn't his power. He was powerful before he became in the skin. You remember when he prayed in, in, in John the 17th chapter, verse 5, I think he said, he said, Lord, now sanctify me with the glory I had with you before the worlds began. In other words, Jesus being on this earth didn't make him uh, powerful. He was powerful before he showed up. He was powerful while he was here, and he's powerful when he's gone. He's going to be powerful when he comes back, and he's going to be powerful after that, no matter what color skin you put on him. So different cultures is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's about love, joy, and peace. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church of Airport Freeway in Rome. Let us bow.
Dear God in heaven, thank you so much for this time. We ask you if you would please be with us. Let us hear your word and bless us. Guide us, forgive us of sins, and bless us to work in unity. Let you be our number one goal. It's in Jesus' name we ask these blessings. Amen. Now, in the book of Rome, when you, Rome's, uh, the book of Romans, when you look at this church, it is in a culture that is uh, uh, a very loose culture uh, when it comes to, you might say, conservatism. Uh, 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 there are things that are going on that, in the general term, that goes against the body of Christ. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage them to stay mindful of the goal. And sometimes we have to do that, is to re be reminded of why we are here. What's the purpose of everything? Our purpose is not to come and sit in this building to hear this good-looking preacher give a powerful sermon. Although that's a good thing, and I don't mind you doing that. But, <laughs> but our purpose is to be a light in a lost and dying world. And God has set us here for that purpose, but it has to start with salvation. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is God's power to save. And then he talks about, in, later on in Romans, the first chapter, about uh, people who suppress the truth. Romans 1.18, he says, uh, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven upon all those who love not the truth. If you know the truth, and you suppress it, then the wrath of God will come upon you. And you keep on reading down, it talks about God will turn you over to a mind of destruction. A reprobate mind is the word, but a mind of destruction. When you stand in, in, in uh, 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 distance from God, then what you're doing is you're, put, you're opening the door for, for Satan in your life. That's why the Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So Paul is writing this letter to remember, to remind them, it's not about you. Paul even writes, uh, he said, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because when I put Christ on, Larry died. And so many Christians are still trying to resurrect that old man that he can live and walk and represent. But that's what the purpose of baptism was. It was the washing away of the old man, Romans the sixth chapter. And in Romans, uh, 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 the 11th, the, the Romans, when you read uh, Romans, the book of Romans is kind of hard for me to read at times because of the background and stuff, but some of the things that uh, Paul writes. If you ever read Romans, the 7th chapter, for me personally, it's a tongue twister. Uh, when Paul gets into about sin, Paul says, the things I know I should be doing, I don't do. Things I know I, I want to do, I want to do, but I don't do them. And so I don't do them because I don't do them. And it's just, it's just going to hope. If you go read Romans 7, you'll see that it's a, it's a, a tongue twister for me. But, but uh, 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 Paul writes, when he finally do all that tongue twister, he says, thanks be to God. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, uh, in Christ Jesus, in Romans chapter 8, he starts off, he said, therefore there is no condemnation to all those who are in Christ Jesus who stumble over this foolishness. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, we're going to do that. And Paul is writing to remind them. Uh, then he goes on. And if you ever read chapter 9, chapter 9 is uh, another part of that book that is like, wow, God, Paul writes. And he's, what he's doing is he's reminding us that God is God. Uh, Paul starts talking about the Jew and the Gentile. And then he breaks off in chapter 9. And he says, uh, if God wanted to do something, then he could do it. 
Uh, uh, who are you, if you are the clay, to say to the potter, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, if God wanted to interject, if God wanted to build someone up just to uh, save someone else, who are you to question that? My mind goes back to Genesis 1-1. That's one thing we need to teach people all the time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Guess who that excluded? Everyone else. It is God and God alone. Uh, uh, so it is God's. And so Paul is writing to remind us God is God. Then in Romans chapter 10, at the end of chapter 9, he said, but my people, if my people, talking about Israel, can only just come back. And then he starts in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. He said, I attest Israel that you have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Then he starts talking about salvation, famous scriptures, Romans 10, 9 and 10. For with the mouth uh, 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 confession made unto salvation, and with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And he says, so with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and mouth is made unto salvation. Then he says, but how can they believe if they're not taught? He said, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's talking about salvation. And then he says, but how can they hear if they're not taught? And, and, and how can they be taught unless a preacher is sent? <laughs> Thank you very much. Because you know what he said about preachers. He says, how beautiful <laughs> are the feet of those who spread the gospel of preaching. I'm not just a preacher. You a preacher. You know, everybody in here a preacher. You preaching some kind of gospel or some kind of message when every day you wake up. So when you preach the gospel of peace, you have some beautiful feet in the eyes of God. So he goes on to chapter 10, then he starts in chapter 11. And he says, has God forgotten Israel? And he said, certainly not. And he starts talking about grafting. Now those who are in horticulture or know anything about planting, grafting is when you take, and in uh, Romans the 11th chapter, he used an olive tree. And he used a wild olive, and I believe he said a natural olive. He said, uh, grafting, and what happened with the children of Israel, he said, God took the graft, the, the vines, off the uh, natural olive tree, and he replaced it with the vines from the wild olive. And that's called grafting. He puts the, uh, a, a tree, a branch that was not naturally from that tree, in that tree, and the nutrients from that tree began to uh, feed the engrafted branch, and it gave it life. And so Paul said, you are the grafted, talking about the Gentiles. You are the grafted branch. Why were they grafted? Because the children of Israel had stepped away from God. They stopped obeying God. And God said in, in the Old Testament, God said, I will make my people jealous by calling the people who does not call me God, I'll call them to myself. And that will make the children of Israel jealous. But he says to the Gentiles who are the grafted in branch, he said, you guys don't get cocky. Don't start boasting because you are supported by the root, not by yourself. So when he's talking to the, the Gentiles, he's saying, everybody calm down and make sure you put yourself in the right place. Because God has not forgotten his children, Israel. So now we get to this part. Uh, read verse 11, chapter 11, verse 32 for me. And listen what he's saying. He's talking about the grafting in. He's talking about how God has uh, uh, taken the children of Israel out. He's put the Gentiles in. 
but he's going to bring the children of Israel back together. Verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God has called everybody, Jew and Gentile, sinners. You remember what he says in Galatians? He says, Galatians, the third chapter, he says, the law has concluded all is under sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and cut short of God's glory. So let me tell you this. If you are a person in here struggling in sin, you are battling an addiction, you are battling a rage, you are battling something, guess what? You are no worse or better than somebody who's not battling. Why? Because we all have sin. Every single, from the pulpit to the last pool, a pew, wall to wall, everybody in here sins. And I know a lot of us don't want to hear that. But the truth is we all have sinned, and we all needed to be grafted back into God. And the only way to do that is through the person of Christ Jesus. So he says one more time, we read it again, verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God has grabbed, he called everyone unto disobedience that he may show his mercy. In other words, that he may save us. And then we get into what is called a doxology. A doxology is an expression of praise. And it seems to come out of nowhere. Uh, I heard a guy say, if you read all of the Psalms, 150 of them, he said, you're reading 150 doxologies. It's praises to God. So when you look at this doxology, he's coming about ready to make a transition from doctrine over to principle. It's kind of like in college. You have your class, and then you have lab. Lab is putting what you learn in class to work. So uh, Christianity is the same way. We're in class now. But when we say amen, we're going into the lab. Amen? So uh, 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 let's pay attention in class. <laughs> uh, he says, in verse 33, he begins his doxology, and then he's going to go into the technical part, I mean, to the principal part. Now, I'm going to break this up into a series, and I'm going to start with the first few verses here today. Verse 32 said he's called everyone under sin that he may have his mercy on them. And then he breaks out into this doxology and says what? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Now, that's verse 33, right? He says, oh, the depth, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. Uh, the depths, you think about depths. I was... Uh, uh, I heard that they say that we know more about space than we do about our own ocean. They said, I forgot the name of this trench that's in the ocean. It's the deepest part. And they said that this trench is so deep that you could set Mount Everest in this trench and still be covered with thousands and thousands of tons of water over it. It's deep. When I was a kid, people who had a lot of money, we said, oh, he has some deep pockets. You know what I mean? You reach in there and pull stuff out, and you, and you still won't get to the bottom. 
You know, Jason's like that. Jason got a lot of money, y'all. Y'all know. Jay got a lot. He just reach in, just reach in, just reach and pull it. Pull. I'll joke because I see some people looking over here. <laughs> hey, I was joking. <laughs> I don't get him after church. <laughs> Brother, can you help me on my ministry? <laughs> but, but, but deep pockets. He says, oh, the depths of the riches. In Psalm 50, verse 10, the writer writes, uh, at this time, God is kind of reprimanding Israel. And he says to Israel, will I accept your, uh, 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 your sacrifices? He says, basically, I don't need them. He said, I own the cattle of a thousand hills. Oh, now, if you know anything about this number, in Hebrew, the number 10 was a number that represents divine perfection uh, or, or completeness. That's why when you give a tithe, when in the Old Testament they gave a tithe, a tithe was a representation of the whole. And so you, it was the complete. When you gave a tenth, you basically gave a completeness. It's like you're giving the whole thing. So a tithe, ten, meant complete or whole. But God is using hyperbole here. He says, I own the cattle of not ten hills, but a thousand hills. It reminds me of Matthew when, when Peter came to Jesus. And he said, Lord, how often shall, uh, in the gospel where he came, he said, how often shall we forgive our brother? Till seven times? Well, seven is also a number that is a holy number that means completeness. And Jesus said, not to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, there's no, there's no limit to this thing. So God is saying, I am rich. A, there's no limits to my rich. Even Mike Beard, well, who owns Microsoft, uh, what's that thing, uh, Amazon? Bayer, Bayer's, what's his name, Bayer's, he, she, him, him, that guy. He has a limit to his money. He has a limit to his riches. But God has deep pockets. God's riches are beyond our comp uh, comprehension. So he says, oh, the depths, keep reading, oh, the depths. Of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge the of God. The riches of the, the, the depths and the riches of the wisdom. God's wisdom. In, in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the Bible says the weakness of God is stronger than the wisdom of man. In other words, your best day, you get the smartest person. You can give Albert Einstein's brain and multiply it by a billion and get creative people and all this stuff and get and put that in one body, it's still nothing compared to God. And the problem is that we still think somehow, some way, that we are able to outdo God. That's why you see empty pews right now. Because somebody here think it's better to be somewhere else other than worshiping God with the family. That, that, that's a problem. Because what Satan wants to do is lull you to sleep. Uh, he wants to get you to think that you're fine. Uh, uh, but, and, and God has, he doesn't have your best intention. That's the exact same thing what he did to, uh, what, in the garden, those two people. Uh, Eve. When Eve was sitting there, God, I mean, Satan came to Eve. And he says, you can't eat in any of these trees? 
What was he doing? He's trying to get her to question God. You mean, you, you mean you, God said you can't eat any of these trees? We can't eat or touch. Oh, okay. God knows the day you eat, you'll be just like him. In other words, Satan put in her mind that God was holding out. And that's exactly what happened to us. When we have hard times in our life, when things are kind of stagnant, we think there's something else better. Why? Because we think if I, it's just so, oh, so lackluster here, and I'm not getting it, and I've been trying that. We think somehow, someway, if I go do something else without God, or just have a little bit of God in it, that'll be better. You can't beat God. You can't outgive God. You can't outthink God. That's why this doxology Paul says, oh, the depths and the riches of God. He's talking about, in, 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 uh, 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 in context, about how God is saving the world, the Jew and the Gentile. And it's very confusing how God reaches out and, he, and, and grafts, and then he puts back, and then he forgives. It's very confusing. And then Paul just gets to a point where he says, oh, my goodness, how great is this God? All the depths and the riches of his uh, wisdom and his knowledge. Uh, 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 how, who is so smart that they can outthink God? Heard this story about these men, scientists. They came up to God. They said, Lord, we, we figured out how to make a man. God said, okay, go, go make him and bring him back to me so I can look at him. They went and they started getting dirt. God said, mm-mm, get your own dirt. You see what I'm saying? Get your own dirt. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created. I think that word is in Hebrew, and I'm not trying to sound smart. I just remember the lesson is barah. And I could have it backwards, but create there means he made it from nothing. See, when humans create, we got to start with something. We, we got to start with something. But God said, let there be light, and light didn't exist. Uh, at least here. Uh, when he spoke these things, they came from nothing. Uh, uh, God is smarter. So when we try to, and that's the problem with, with scientists and evolutionists, they try to confine God to our life. They try to say, well, God, it doesn't make sense. That God exists. That's right. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that he's just here. I can't fit that in my three-pound brain. It doesn't make sense that God will forgive me of my sins. It, uh, uh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God could have a child come out of a woman who never been with a man. doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense that I'm going to live one day into a place called heaven and never die. doesn't make sense, but I'm going you see, it doesn't make sense. And that's the problem with Christians now who are trying to prove to people, uh, trying to prove people by out-jousting them with Scripture. They don't believe in your Scripture anyway. You want to prove people? Look, go to Hebrews 1 where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You want to prove people God exists? Then you believe in him. All the depths and the riches of God. How unsearchable, could keep going, read, how, what is it, how unsearchable? How unsearchable his judgments 
and his paths beyond tracing out. Now, here's the thing. When God make a judgment, guess what some of his judgments are? Your loved one is going to die. You're not going to get that money you need. Somebody else is going to do you wrong and get away with it. That's what we call life. That's what we call life. It's some things that's going to go wrong and they're not going to settle in. But that's what God calls faith. When the hard times hit, let God stand in your life. That's why I said come to church and worship God. Why? It's medicine to know that I can learn about this God and that he goes beyond my situation. All the depths of how God is. How powerful is this God? Oh, for his judgment. Well, sometimes God can make some judgment. You know what? One time God had a bear come out of nowhere and kill some children that were making fun of Elisha because he was bald-headed. One time God had Joshua go into Jericho he said, kill everything, men, women, children, cattle, wipe them out. I can't make sense of that all the time, but it's God's judgment, and it's right. Heard people try to argue against the Bible. Well, why would God, why would a loving God do this? Because he's a loving God, that's why. I'll tell you something, y'all, you don't have all the answers to why God. Sometimes church members think they got to have all these answers. You don't have all the answers. I don't care how much studying you do. You don't have all the answers. The smartest people in all these commentaries that we read and all these commentators, guess what? There's another side on this side that disagrees with them. Why? God will never be figured out by you. He will just be believed on. That's how we got to find him. Why? Because he's beyond our capability. What did he say in Isaiah? He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And I, I, I just, it makes me laugh sometimes when people come up with answers that the Bible didn't even come up with. You know, they were, here's why God did it. I read commentary and they just take privileges. I say, how do you know that? It's not even in the Bible. Well, I studied. Okay. Well, I know. No, you don't. Now, you may be smart enough to outsmart me, but you can't outsmart God. You know, uh, 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 we don't know everything, but that's why you call it faith. He said we walk by faith, not by... Now, that doesn't mean we're dummies. That don't mean that we don't have a logic. God said in Romans, the first chapter, the invisible qualities of God are now seen in the visible things. In other words, God preaches a sermon every time you wake up and see the sun. He's preaching, I'm God. Every morning, the Bible talks about that. So, understand this. Oh, the depths and the riches. Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering through this? You remember Job? I don't know anybody who's gone through the troubles Job did the way Job went through it. But Job finally got tired of it. He was good up until a point. 
Then he walked up, you know, Lord, wait a minute. God said, excuse me. <laughs> Hold on. Who is this to come up to my counsel with darkness? He said, Job, uh, just, I'm just checking now. Where were you? Well, I hang the earth on nothing. Can you answer? We got to remember that. It's times when we get so fed up in our lives, we got to have, Lord, I want an answer. Okay. I remember when I was in California, it was just raining and raining and raining. One guy got on the news, I'm tired of this rain. And it rained the next day. <laughs> oh, the depth the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How, what does it say? How unsearchable his judgments mm -hmm. and his paths beyond tracing out. You, you can't trace God. You can't. I'm going to tell you something. If you can define God, he's not God. That's why you don't have one God, one name that tells everything about God. El Shaddai, Elohim, Yahweh. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. These different names, they don't encompass God. They give, uh, what it is is a person is telling you about God when they experienced him at that time. Uh, Abraham and the mountain, God provided. Oh, Jehovah Jireh. But that didn't encompass God. There's no name that we have that can give us a full knowledge of God. And I'm going to say this boldly. But there's things about God we will never know just from Scripture. There's some things you'll never know. What did he say in Deuteronomy 29, 29? Things that are written that belongs to us. In Romans, the 15th chapter, he says that things that are written before time were written for our learning. Things that are written, that's for us. The secret things, that's for God. It's things that God deals with that you don't even think about. Raise your hand if you said a prayer for the, uh, the planet Pluto. Anybody? Anybody pray for anybody on Neptune? God deals with Neptune and Pluto, and that's just in our Milky Way galaxy. He deals with all of it. And there's parts about God we will never know. That's why Paul said, oh, the depths and the riches. He is so big. Now, since he's that big, I'm about ready to close. They say in our Milky Way galaxy, it would take light that travels at 186,000 miles per second. It would take light 100,000 years to cross to the other side. There's a, a, a galaxy next door to us called Andromeda that dwarfs us. It said it would take light a hundred million years to get to the other side of that, from one side to the other. And they said, and I've heard up to 500 billion, that's what I've heard, I don't know, I didn't count, but I heard there are up to 500 billion galaxies in this universe that is constantly expanding. And guess what? All of that fits like a pebble in God's hand. That's why he said, if God be for you, who can be against you? Oh, the depths. 
So I'm saying, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, if you don't take God, I'm saying, please get him. Because there's nothing you could do better than what God has already planned for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know my plans for you to give you hope and a future. His future started with salvation. Jesus Christ came down on this earth. He lived, he died, he was buried, but he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And because he did that, we have a right to that. If you haven't been baptized, the answer, the question is, why not? Christ is saying, and the Bible says in Hebrews, the day you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. So if you hear God's calling you right now, respond. How do you respond, Brother Nunley? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You believe he died on the cross for your sins and mine? You believe that if you are baptized in his name, that he'll wash your sins away, fill you with the Holy Spirit and add you to his family, the church? If you believe that, the Bible says you're a candidate. I heard a friend telling me, he said, everybody's a candidate to be baptized if they're lost. <laughs> if you're lost, then God wants to save you. The way to do that is to respond faithfully, not according to airport freeway, not coming to me. You're responding according to the scriptures and you're coming to God. If you haven't done that, we're putting it forward to you right now as we together stand and sing the song of invitation.